it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is session number 10. I am Dave Ahern. And we have Andrew Sather, our other co-host, with us today. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. In honor of baseball season starting on Sunday, woohoo! I'm super excited. Andrew and I are both uh, very big baseball fans, and we thought we would talk a little bit about baseball and investing and kind of how they go together. And, you know, all that may be a strange topic for some people. I'm sure people were getting some funny looks right now as we're talking about this, but you'd be surprised. There's some very strong correlations, and a lot of big value investors are very big baseball fans, and they use a lot of analogies relating to baseball and how they look at their investing, and they get a lot of great ideas from baseball and some of the strategies as well as the discipline that baseball players adhere to. So I guess I will start off and talk a little bit about, I wrote an article just recently talking about Ted Williams and value investing. And for those of you who are not familiar with Ted Williams, first of all, he is probably considered in a lot of circles the finest hitter in the history of baseball, better than Babe Ruth, better than William Mays, better than Hank Aaron. And he's got the numbers to prove it. And he does have the numbers to prove it. He was, he played in the uh, late 40s through the mid 60s. He was, at the time, he was, he's the last man to ever hit over 400. He hit 406 in, shoot, I don't remember the year. <laughs> um, but he, he hit 406. He was the last man to hit over 400. It has never, it has not been done since. It's been over 50 some years since that happened. He was really the first guy to kind of study hitting as a science. And he was a huge, huge influence on later uh, baseball players, guys like Tony Gwynn, for example, who played for the San Diego Padres, who was an amazing hitter in, in his own right. But uh, Ted Williams was really the kind of the first guy, and he was kind of one of the first guys to really take baseball and, and apply science to it and analyzation. Most I think guys that's bef- key, too. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Dave. That, but That's okay. You know, when you think about people who are excellent at their craft, there's a thing called the Pareto Principle, where it's... Like 20, 20, in a lot of different situations, 20% of the top performers make up 80% of the results. So we see that in economics. We see that, it, like in the Olympics, somebody who's just half a, 
half a second faster gets a far greater proportion of the results than the rest of their competitors. So if you can study the greats, you can see that a lot of the principles are actually shared, whether that's baseball, whether that's chess, whether that's investing. You know, it, it, It's something that if you can study, peak, Tim Ferriss likes to call peak performers, you can really glean a lot of things and apply it to your own situation. So I'm sorry, oh, you're saying you're saying something no. about no, uh, I, Ted Williams and yeah. I guess what I was what I was saying was that he was before Ted Williams. Most baseball players were kind of of the their hitting philosophy was see ball hit ball. So they didn't study, they didn't pay any attention, they didn't notice patterns, they didn't do any of those kinds of things. And Ted Williams, one of the things that he discovered was he broke the strikes down, strike zones down into 252 small little baseball-sized zones, if you will. And he figured out that it's in certain zones he would be much more successful than other zones. And so a pitch low and away, for example, he was not as likely to do well, and so he just decided not to swing at those pitches. And so he just learned to swing at the pitches he knew that he could handle and he could do something with. And it transformed him into, you know, a you know, a world-beating hitter. And his career average was over 350. Uh, he had 520 home runs. His last at bat, uh, he played for the Red Sox. And the last, his last at bat, he hit a home run. 521 for a, a while was, you know, in the top 10 for home runs for hitting. Now, his his numbers would have been a lot higher. A lot of people don't realize this, but he missed four years in his prime. Uh, he was a, a Air Force pilot, and he flew for the United States uh, Army in World War II as well as the Korean conflict. What a, so what he, a slacker. Yeah, no kidding. So he, he was an amazing man. Uh, he was a little bit, uh, you know, he's not as well known. He's, he wasn't a super gregarious guy. He wasn't like Babe Ruth. He wasn't like William Mays. You know, he was kind of a serious dude. And he was a little bit prickly with the, uh, the media. So he didn't get a lot of, he didn't get as much attention as maybe he's, you know, he deserved. But I mean, so point, a 350 average, to put that in perspective for the non-baseball fans, if you hit, I don't know what the average is across the league, but think like a 225 or a 250 or like a league average. If you can hit like 300, you're pretty much an all-star. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. he hit 350 his whole career. That's a whole... Yes. I can't do math right now, but a whole, what, .05? <laughs> it, it's a huge difference, and we've never seen anybody at that caliber ever. No, he hit, uh, as a matter of fact, his last year, his last prof- full year in professional baseball, he hit over 380, and he was over 40 years old, which is still a record for batting average for the seasons. Imagine so. if he like signed some sort of, you know, if they, <laughs> if they were big on products back then like they are oh, now, he would have been oh, out earning Brett Favre, he, he would have oh, been all yes. over TV, you know. Oh yes, he would have been in the he would have been the first half a million dollar, you know, baseball player for a, you know, a career contract. It, yeah, it would have been he would have made a, a lot of money. Uh so it was ridiculous. So how this all correlates to value investing. So uh Warren Buffett you know, value investor, famous dude, one of my favorites, one of Andrew's favorites, very successful, really knows his stuff. He is a huge baseball fan. And as a matter of fact, he owned the minor league team in Omaha for a short time. And he was also considering buying the Chicago Cubs at one point. I believe they weren't able to work out a deal with Wrigley, but he was working on uh, attempting to buy the Cubs at one point. He was a diehard Red Sox fan. And as a kid, Ted Williams was his favorite player. 
he discovered that when he was kind of looking for ideas and just kind of, you know, in that kind of gathering knowledge mode, he's still kind of in that, but really when he was younger, he was very much about that. And he came across this book called The Science of Hitting that Ted Williams wrote about his philosophy of hitting and his analyzation and his discipline. And, you know, it doesn't have any direct correlation to value investing, but Buffett saw the discipline that Williams put into his analyzation of pitches and how he chose to only swing at the ones he knew he could do something with. And Buffett thought about the, you know, the myriad of millions of stocks that you get to look at on a daily basis and you have choices to make on when you choose what you want to buy and what you want to invest in. And he thought, you know, if somebody like Ted Williams is being that disciplined on hitting a baseball, why can't I apply that to my investing? And so he decided to kind of adopt that philosophy of just waiting for his pitch. And then when he found his pitch, like a Coca-Cola or a Geico or an Amex, he went it all in just like Ted Williams would when he was swinging a baseball. And so, you know, all these things, you know, kind of correlated into helping form, you know, Buffett's style. And so, you know, he adopted that philosophy of just letting the pitch go by. If this was a pitch that he didn't think he could do anything with, he, it wasn't worth it. You know, it went into the too hard pile. You know, it's, it doesn't mean it was a bad company. It just meant that for him, it was not the right fit at that time. And I think that's something that we can apply to our investing is, you know, we don't have to go running off rushing to buy something. You can be patient. There are opportunities that are going to present themselves through time. And by being disciplined like Buffett was and like Ted Williams was and like Michael Jordan was and like, you know, uh, oh, shoot, I'm going to blank on the Olympic swimmer. Really famous dude, won every race ever for the oh, last Michael Phelps. Three. Yeah, Michael Phelps, extremely disciplined. You know, really quick, are, quick aside yeah. on Michael Phelps. He actually trained every day for like years. So he his advantage was he knew that most people would take Sunday off. So he would train on Sunday too. I yeah. mean, you talk about discipline. Yeah. Focus. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And that's, you know, those are, you know, huge keys to his success besides his obvious talent. Uh, you know, the same thing applies with, with Buffett. You know, he took, you know, his natural talent and he looked at the discipline that he gathered from these, you know, great baseball players and used that discipline for his value investing. And, you know, we don't have to swing at every pitch. You don't have to, you know, run out and buy something just because it's the hot new thing or your friend gives you this great stock tip. You know, those, those, you know, as we've talked about in the past, those, a lot of times can lead to a lot of lost money and a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of, you know, situations where you're not going to be, you know, you get burned once and you're like, you know, I'm not going back to this. And as Andrew and I've talked about, you know, being invested in the market for a long period of time, continually doing it and being disciplined about it is how you grow your wealth and how you, you know, retire wealthy someday. And that's how you do it. And, you know, some of these things that we talk about, that's kind of how we get there from these things. And when I was reading these stories about Ted Williams and about Warren Buffett and kind of how they correlated, I thought that was awesome. And especially with my love of baseball, I thought it was kind of a natural fit for me to kind of write about that and talk about this today, especially with my San Francisco Giants taking the field on Sunday. Uh, nobody cares about that. <laughs> <laughs> talk Andrew, about the a way, team. a diehard Dodgers fan. Yeah, so I mean, a fun year for us. Talk about a team, you know, pretty much everybody knows that once you get in the playoffs, it's a crapshoot, unless you're the Giants and you just happen to get lucky every single time. <laughs> Not that Lucky's I'm bitter at all. No, I'm, I'm sorry. How many, how many World Series have the Giants won the last 10 years? I mean, how many times have they gotten lucky? Probably every time. <laughs> uh, zero. 
<laughs> I really like you know how you talk about how Buffett waits for that perfect pitch because I'm reading a book called The Art of Value Investing. Whitney Tilson and um, some other guy, I don't I can't remember his name right now, brought together all this knowledge from value investors. And something they really have been highlighting is this idea of having your circle of competence. So a lot of these successful fund managers who are value investors, instead of really focusing on what they're maybe good at or what they have this sort of edge on or what kind of analysis or industry they want to focus on, instead they kind of take the opposite approach and they talk about industries that they just want no part of. So, you know, nobody says you have to be an expert in every industry. Nobody says you need to buy stocks in every industry. A lot of value investors, myself included, completely just stay away from the financial industry for the most part. I have one position in my e-letter, which makes up maybe a quarter of my holdings right now because the portfolio is still small. So as it grows over time, it will naturally get smaller, that single position. That's in the financial services industry, but it's a very low-levered company. It's just a ton of cash on their balance sheet. Really easy to understand. But if you talk about the majority of financial industry companies, companies like banks, insurance companies, you look at their balance sheet and it's, it's absolutely absurd how much leverage and how many liabilities they have. You're talking about just a house of cards that's going to crumble. So really... When a business, just certain business models are better than others, and that's just the bottom line. A bank, for example, I, I wrote an email about how the basics of their business model is that they need to essentially gain a liability in order to gain an asset. You think about how a bank works. They take in a deposit, and that deposit comes from the average consumer. And so while now they have cash in hand, they still owe that money to the consumer. The consumer can come in and take that cash out at any time. So they get an asset, but they also get a liability. Whereas a lot of other companies, you know, the way they make revenue, they sell a product. Sure, they have to pay some money to create the product, but they have profit and they don't have nearly as much liabilities as a company like a bank or like an insurance company that depends on float. So really, if you just concentrate on having a circle of confidence, you can eliminate yourself from a lot of potentially heartbreaking situations if you can just understand some business models are better than others. Buffett likes to focus on what he knows and where he can see a big opportunity. And it's the same kind of thinking with Ted Williams. His science of hitting is definitely revolutionary and people still don't use that today. A majority of players don't, which is kind of shocking. But, you know, a basic concept of that is that the pitch that's low in the way is a very low percentage pitch. And that's still true today. And that's kind of something you, that a lot of people intuitively know when they're up there hitting. And for whatever reason, they're not disciplined enough to follow through. But I mean, if you just think of the logic of it, a pitch that's down low and it's sinking, first off, you're going to have to extend your arms a lot farther in order to make contact. If you do make contact, you're just likely going to hit it back down on the ground and you're not going to be able to get the kind of solid momentum that you would if a pitch is higher and you can just, you know, you lever your body and really get maximum power. So it's the same thing with the stock market. You want to put good good money after good money, like the sharks say on Shark Tank. You don't want to throw good money at bad money. Throw good money at good money, find a circle of competence and try to really apply these kind of principles that work in other areas of life and apply them to things like your investing that you can control today. Hey you, 
What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. You know, the circle of, you know, circle of of, you know, competence is something that, you know, is so critical to, you know, value investing and just kind of looking at life in general is, you know, working within things that you're comfortable with, working with things that you know and have knowledge of. You know, we've talked a little bit about this before, but, you know, Peter Lynch, one of the things that he's known for is, you know, saying that you should invest in something you know. It doesn't mean that you, because you buy a Starbucks, you know, coffee every day that you know Starbucks and you know coffee shops and you know how they work. But, you know, if you work at a bank like I do, you know, you would have a little more insight into a bank. It doesn't mean I'm going to run out and buy banks just because I work at a bank. But it, you know, will show you know, you know, you'll have a little more insight into maybe some of how some of those things work. And you'll also learn as you go along, you know, reading, you know, is the greatest way to learn things and to acquire knowledge and studying other people's methods and how they do things is another great way to learn and to build your, your circle of competence. You know, Warren Buffett reads, I don't know, five or six hours a day. Charlie Munger does the same thing. You know, all these guys that we listen to on, you know, Meb Faber and Patrick O'Shaughnessy, you know, these guys, you know, read, you know, hours and hours a day and they're just studying and learning things and they're building up their circle of competency so that they can, you know, find other opportunities to invest in. And, you know, one of the things that Warren Buffett talks about is when you're looking at investing is having a punch card and looking at, you know, if you can come up with 20 ideas in your lifetime, you know, that's a great, you know, that's a great thing to aspire to. And Manish Prabhai was saying in an interview recently that, you know, he's happy if he can find two or three good ideas a year. That's it. Two or three a year. That's that's not a lot. You know, that certainly is not going to make Trade King a lot of money because if you're only buying two or three things a year, you're obviously not spending a lot of money with them. But, you know, I think the the point of that is is that they're looking at, you know, their circle of competency, they're looking at what they know and what they're comfortable with, and they're taking their time and being patient. And I think that's the biggest thing is being patient, you know. Fools rush in phrase kind of has, you know, there's a reason for that phrase is because fools rush in and they make mistakes and they get burned by doing that. And, you know, when an IPO comes out and, you know, it's the hot new thing and everybody's super excited about it and they run out and, you know, buy it up and gobble it up. And then a week and a half later, the stock tanks because then all of a sudden people realize, hey, wait a minute, this is maybe not what we thought it was going to be or the hype dies down you know, that happens all the time or the company, you know, just never really gets on track. Twitter is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. You know, their IPO was big. People went nuts for it. It went crazy. And ever since their IPO, they've struggled mightily. And, you know, the stock is down quite a bit from the opening IPO price. I don't have that in front of me right now, but I know it's quite a bit. And, you know, they have a part-time CEO right now and people on their board are, you know, jumping ship like, you know, it's the Titanic and, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it's, they're struggling. And anyway, my point of all that is, is that, you know, it's okay to be patient and it's okay to wait for your pitch. And when you find that pitch is to go all in on it. You know, there's so many different types of strategies you can apply with this, you know, type of uh, investing, you know, the value investing is really more, it's more being conservative. It's finding things that you, 
you know and you're comfortable with and you know are going to be a good business and then buying it. And it doesn't mean that you don't dollar cost average every month like Andrew does. That's obviously an amazing you know, formula and strategy as well. But I think what I'm getting at with that is, is that you don't need to rush out and buy something every single week or you know, go with the flavor of the moment. You know, more about being solid, steady, looking for your pitch, and then once you get that baby, you smack it. You know, and you know, why, why swing at Clayton Kershaw's curveball? Because you got no chance. I mean, there's just no no shot at hitting that thing. So why even swing at it? I guess that's kind of my point of all this. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a beautiful way to put it, especially when you talk about Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> Arguably one of the best pitchers we've ever seen. Yep, Too bad yep. he chokes in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, well, at least he gets there. Yeah. Um, you know, so... There's a lot of teams, you know, my Minnesota Twins, where I used to live, they would kill to have somebody like him. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's that's the fun, of, that's the beauty of sports, and that's the fun of sports. And, you know, talking a little bit about value investing and kind of some other correlations, you know, think about a baseball player when he signs a contract. You know, the there's always a, a, 
a give and take when they're looking at it. The ball player is walking in there and he wants twenty million a year because that's what he thinks he's worth. The baseball, the team, however, they have different metrics that they're going to assess the ball player like. There's been a, a a revolution in baseball over the last 10, 12 years called Moneyball. And there's a book written by Michael Lewis where he analyzed the Oakland Twins quite a few years ago. The Oakland Twins are a small market team. They couldn't compete with the money that the big teams could throw at ballplayers like the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the you know the Anaheim Angels. So they couldn't throw away they couldn't throw all this money at these players, so they had to find players that would fit their system and their scheme and they they came up with basically math formulas to you know analyze a player's skill set to find the the best fit for what they really needed. So they're looking for guys that walked a lot, that got on base, that scored runs because they figured they they realized that scoring runs is ultimately the most important thing that you can do in baseball. It doesn't matter how flashy your batting average is, it doesn't matter ultimately how many home runs you hit, it's really about how many runs you score. And the more men you get on base, the more the statistically the higher your percentages of scoring more runs. Just makes sense. And and so they kind of adopted this philosophy of looking for guys that maybe weren't the highest average or that had the most power, but they got on base and they scored runs. And that's that became their key to success. And that that revolution kind of has spread through baseball now. And so there's this huge movement of, you know, they call them baseball geeks. And they're basically guys. Sabermetrics. Yeah, sabermetrics. Thank you. The guys that go to, you know, MIT and study math, and then they get a job in the front office for the Cleveland Indians. You know, they know nothing about baseball, but they know everything there is about stats. And so they can help the the team find players that are going to fit to the, that skill set that they're looking for. And, you know, they can also help the players analyze what they're not doing well and they can adapt, help them adapt to not swinging at that pitch that's low and outside because when Noah Syndergaard throws 101 miles an hour, you're not hitting it. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, teaching these players to, you know, try to learn just to lay off that pitch and wait for the fat pitch down the middle or the high and inside that they can handle. That's what they do with this. And so the I guess the long way around this point that I'm trying to make is the the when the players go to sign a contract, they're wanting twenty million, but the team is looking at you know all these saber metrics going, okay, your on base percentage is low, your power's really high, your batting average is kinda eh, your fielding percentage is not that great. You're fast, you steal you steal a lot of bases and you score a lot of runs, so you got a lot of pluses and minuses. And so they will go into the you know, figuring out how much the dollar amount each of those skills is worth and putting a price on those. And so there's, instead of it just being, you know, the big name gets a big, big contract, it more comes down to what are the skill sets that these guys have and what's the dollar amount that's being assigned to. And in sabermetrics, they, they talk a lot about wins, wins above replacement. And it's a very technical term, which I'm not going to go into today, but really what it gets comes down to is they assign a dollar amount to that. And so the more wins a player is worth, you know, for his team, the more money they're willing to pay him. And so somebody like Mike Trout is the best player in baseball right now. When he finally gets his really big contract, you know, he's going to make a lot of money because he's worth a lot of wins to his team. And so 
you know, that's where the kind of the give and take comes into the negotiation. So again, intrinsic value, you know, my favorite subject, it's going to be, you know, the intrinsic value of the baseball player. He thinks he's worth 20, 20 million a year. The team thinks he's only worth 12 million a year because he's assigned these numbers to these statistics that they figured out have a value to them. And so that's kind of where the give and take comes in with, with this. Yeah. I mean, and then you, you kind of contrast the whole idea of, using sabermetrics with teams who obviously don't use sabermetrics and just see how fantastically they've failed. So you have teams like the Angels who, I mean, similar to investors in the stock market, you get seduced by the big name, the flashiness, you know, this guy, even, you know, you ignore the fact that he's on the tail end of his career, he's way past his prime, but you just see the shiny lights of, I mean, he, this guy can hit 40 homers, I mean, maybe the logic is, yeah, he can fill seats. You know, it could be more like that. So they sign a guy like Albert Pujols, and the the just ridiculous amount of money they wasted on him compared to what his performance is today is arguably taking them out of contention for at least a few years. A team like the Boston Red Sox, who has, you know, multiples of money that they're able to spend on players compared to other teams who have to be more conservative with their money, before they dealt really big contracts out like Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford before they made trades like that to shed those big contracts. They really didn't have a bright future because they had just thrown money away without really examining, okay, what's the intrinsic value of these players? Realistically, how many wins will they bring the team and how, how close can they get us to the playoffs and the World Series? And ironically, when they finally shed the big contracts and took a more sabermetric approach bringing in, you know, key guys who aren't going to fill seats or really be big names that are going to sell a lot of jerseys, but are going to help you incrementally win. You get enough of those guys. Sure enough, they ended up winning a World Series. And so this idea that was first presented by Moneyball, and you mentioned it was a book. They also turned it into a movie. Um, Brad Pitt and uh, some other actor yep. was in it as well. Uh, I really just love that idea of, taking just look past emotions, look at the numbers, calculate an intrinsic value, and honestly, just really just taking a contrarian approach. If everybody else is sw uh, swerving right and you're going to swerve left, I think that really helps your chances. And a team like the Oakland A's, who are the chief um, focus of the story, really were able to do that with next to nothing. I mean, they it's funny in the movie, they show them, bringing in guys who are just, you know, Dave likes this word, right? Janky. Yeah. I mean, you had, you had guys who, I don't know, it looked like he, one guy needed like a hip replacement. Another guy, you know, these are just not people you would think would be athletes, but they were good in the role and they were good on the number perspective and how much value compared to how much the team had to pay for them at getting the job done and getting the team closer to a win. So, number one, they were looking at value and how can we squeeze out every little bit of value from whatever we have, whatever capital we have. It's the same idea when you're in the stock market and you're trying to invest in as many different companies as you can that are trading below their intrinsic value. It's not, it's not that one stock pick is really going to do it for you, but as you do it in a group of diversified a big diversified portfolio of stock selections, a couple of those are going to hit and it's really going to bring your, your performance up higher. Uh, I mean, even 
maybe a more likely situation is none of them really become home runs, but a lot of them, because they were trading at a discount, they all kind of push the average up higher until you're really compounding your money at a nice rate. And so the Oakland A's did that in in that way where they were taking advantage of going for players that no other team wanted. Maybe this guy, one guy had like a bum arm, another guy had a bad hip, whatever it may be. And then secondly, they were also being contrarian in the sense that they were looking at metrics that nobody else was looking at. So like you said before, Dave, people and owners and casual fans, they like to look at home runs, you know, that's the that's the sexiest part of the game is when a guy can just crush a ball 450 feet. So, you know, a lot of the teams tend to focus on players that are like that. And, you know, you might get a guy who can really crush the ball and he looks like he's been juicing for 15 years. I mean, that's really cool. And he's going to sell a lot of jerseys, bring a lot of fans to come out to the games. But really, if he's not hitting at a high percentage like a Ted Williams would, chances are he's not bringing a lot of wins to the team on an individual perspective. And then if you compare that to really how much you're paying him, if you're not taking a sabermetric approach, you're probably overpaying in the same way that somebody would overpay for a Twitter or, or you know, a, a Snapchat or some other hot fad that's really not turning a profit. So when you look at a system like sabermetrics and you look at things like on base percentage or you know even how many pitches uh, uh, a hitter looks at right i mean instead of swinging away at the first or second pitch if you can get if you can build a team of guys who will wear out the pitcher by by making the pitcher throw a lot a lot of guys who are patient and you you see value in that i i really think it's similar to having a value investing approach and kind of taking metrics and looking at, you know, Wall Street's focused on earnings and Wall Street's focused on growth. But as value investors, no, let's look at different fundamentals that really contribute to how we can win in this game. And how you win in this game is take it a step further. Well, okay, what creates earnings? Well, actually, that would be assets, right? So assets are things that you buy that create cash flow, which turns into earnings. So if we can find companies that maybe are struggling with their earnings but have a lot of assets, then you know we have a good chance that we're buying at a discount to what the company's really worth, and we're maybe buying the stock with the bum arm or the you know the bad hip or just really one that nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to feel like they're a part of, but really in the end it could be a key component to our portfolio to really give us some great results. So I think that's some of the ways that we can kind of take lessons from Sabermetrics and from Ted Williams and really apply it to our own approach and try to emulate the success, the success of guys like Warren Buffett who have done similar things in their own career. I agree. That's an excellent point. Uh, that was very well said. That was very eloquent. I'm very impressed. Oh, hey, man, don't get me started talking about baseball because I'll, I'll just talk your ear off for for hours, right? I mean, yeah, sabermetrics, I numbers, who Yeah, I know. I'm getting the chills. Yeah, I got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, and I feel the same way. You know, I guess the, the, the final thing that I guess I would like to say about all of this is, you know, the whole point of why I wanted to talk about this and why I wrote an article about this recently was that 
investment ideas can come from anywhere. And it doesn't have to just be a stock screener or a financial website. There, you know, look around you. You see things every day when you're driving around. Notice the places you buy gas from. Notice the grocery store you're buying food from. The restaurant that you go to eat at. You know, you see a truck drive by and it has a sign on the truck. You know, there's just you just never know when an investment idea is going to come from. And you know trying to kind of keep your eyes open and keep your options open. And that's what Buffett was doing when he saw what Ted Williams was doing. He saw this book and he read the book. You know, Buffett was by no means an athletic guy. He had no hopes of ever playing professional baseball, but he was open enough to read this book and look at how the correlations between what Ted Williams is doing in his field of expertise and how Buffett could take that and adapt it to his. And so he was open to the idea and that was something that he could take and adapt to his own life and his own investing. And I I think that's what I wanted to try to get across with this was to keep your eyes open, to keep you know, looking for opportunities because you never know when they're going to present themselves and from what what realm of your life they're going to pre- present themselves to you. It could be listening to us. It could be reading an article on one of our sites. It could be listening to another podcast. You know, you just never know. And so, you know, I guess just keep your options open. That's That's my final thought. I love it. I completely agree. Oh, thank you. All right, folks. Well, that is going to do it for the session today. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. We hope you find some value in what we were talking about today. If you've enjoyed the show so far, please do us a favor and go to iTunes and give us a rating, give us a review. Let us know what you think. The more people rate us and review us, the better our rankings are and the more people that this can help. That's what we're here for, to try to help people. And go check out uh, Dave's article that he wrote about the, the baseball and the Ted Williams at intrinsicvalueformula.com. If you scroll down a little bit, you'll see where he talked about patient, patience leads to success. And it was a really great article. And it, if, if this episode really kind of inspired you and got your brain churning a little bit, then I think that's a good supplemental piece of content that you, know, you could dig in further with it. Thank you. Yep. So I guess that's uh, that's my final thought. And, you know, we appreciate it. And you guys have a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time. Have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.